0: That's all—a weekly debrief about anything and everything happening in fashion and pop culture—with Cosy and M. I'm Cosy, and I'm M. And welcome to this week's episode. A lot's been happening—some good things, some bad things. But before we get into all of that, M, what is your recommendation for this week?
1: I was in Brisbane last week, so naturally, all content consumption stopped but I do have an episode of The Daily to recommend from March this year but it's still relevant and I simply do not have time to listen to The Daily every single day and if you do your life is way more together than mine but it's called Our Film Critic on why he's done with movies and it's an interview with A.O. Scott. (gasps) A.O.
0: Scott is such an icon. He
1: is and he was a film critic at the New York Times for 23 years but stepped away from that role earlier this year and it was a pretty big deal when he announced that he was moving from film reviews to books. So he hasn't stepped away from the New York Times completely, he's just had a change in role. But in this episode he explains why he made the move and how much the cinema landscape has changed and in particular his problem with corporate control over Hollywood, which is our least favourite thing in the world. Fr-
0: one of my favourite topics, but also the worst thing ever.
1: I think he did a really good job to speak to the change from all sides. Like he spoke about fandom culture, which was interesting because he mentioned Samuel L. Jackson tweeted at him after he reviewed the first Avengers movie, and fans absolutely oh. came after him. He also spoke about how streaming mm-hmm. services have changed and how they've made us more. Passive as watchers than ever before and also what it's like being a critic in an age where everyone can just get on their soapbox and voice their opinion so
0: yeah like everyone's everyone's
1: a critic exactly so I enjoyed this peek kind of into the realm of art criticism because I have my own problems with criticism but I also find it very very intriguing also just to see part of his very well-regarded career we will link that back in the show notes if you are a little bit anti-corporate hollywood like we are have a listen
0: yeah we hate corporate hollywood
1: what have you been listening reading doing watching all the things yeah
0: well like you, I didn't consume too much on the weekend. Uh, well, not, not all of it recommendable. I did watch Lara Croft on uh, Friday night, but we can I can recommend that in another episode. Um, but this week, I read this really great article in Vulture, one of my favorite places to read things and consume culture. And it's well, we will be talking about Taylor Swift today, but it's a really great article about uh, when Taylor Swift visits restaurants in New York. And what happens there and this, and you know, what does she eat? How does she go in? Does she go in the back door? It's this sort of like really weird article about this one journalist who decides to go to all of the restaurants that she's gone to recently. And it's one of the funniest articles I've read in a really long time. So she goes to Via Carotta, Il Bucco Elementari, in Venaria, Emilio's Bellato, like so many different places. And she just asks the bartenders and the wait staff about what, what happens and It's just so funny. She says, I would test my own stamina, the limits of a $75 per diem and a restaurant's ability to recover from the sheer fact of Taylor Swift's presence. And... It's, yeah, really, really funny. She just goes to all these different restaurants and asks about what happened when Taylor Swift is there. And and she goes, when she goes to Il Buco Alimentari in Venaria, it's really funny. She meets this one Swifty who's the bartender and it says, the bartender is a wonderfully sweet and cheerful man named Julius, who's not only open to telling me every single thing that happened when Taylor Swift visited, but is visibly thrilled about it. He is a self-identified Swifty who asks to be quoted by name like Julius Caesar. And for him, the experience was not to be dramatic, life altering. and I'm like that's the content that I want and they like talk about how she went to dinner with a bunch of people and Laura Dern tried to pay the bill but Taylor's security guards had already paid I'm like that's this is the information I want the quote she eats she pays she gets the fuck out is from the guy who owns Emilio Bellato. Emilio's Bellato called Emilio and yeah he just says yeah I'm Emilio he says what can I tell you she eats she pays she gets the fuck out and I'm like yeah she's got she's on that grind like I can't even believe that she has to eat like a normal person the fact that she has the same bodily functions as all of us is insane to me
1: what do you mean that you have to dine you
0: go out to eat food but it is that thing of like yeah celebrities going out to eat food it's not just like us when we're like oh yeah cool you want to go get sushi it's like cool let's go through all of the logistics of what could go wrong here and who's going to take photos of us and who's going to call Dumois and all this stuff
1: I wish I was using my journalism degree for that kind of investigation. That sounds like so much fun.
0: I loved it. It was so funny. And just, yeah, the, the journalist was just hilarious. I highly recommend it. It's on Vulture. Again, as Em said, we will link all these wrecks and a lot of other things we mentioned in this episode in our show notes.
1: In initial very sad news, actor Matthew Perry was found dead in his LA home over the weekend of a suspected drowning. He was just... So sad. 54 years old, so sad, and unfortunately found by his assistant in his hot tub. He didn't have a partner and he did not have any kids, which is just heartbreaking. Earlier today, his friends, co-stars Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matt LeBlanc, and David Schwimmer paid tribute to him in a joint statement, which I think is nice. They said... We are all so utterly devastated by the loss of Matthew. We are more than just castmates. We are a family. There is so much to say, but right now we are going to take a moment to grieve and process this unfathomable loss. In time, we will say more, as and when we are able. For now, our thoughts and our love are with Maddie's family, his friends, and everyone who loved him around the world. Truly awful news to start the week.
0: Oh, so sad. And he played Chandler on Friends and yeah, 54. Can you believe that?
1: Also in 17 again, which is... A truly beautiful movie. movie.
0: I love that movie. And he went out for years with one of my favorite actresses, Lizzie Kaplan, who played Janice in Mean Girls.
1: I love that.
0: They were together for about six years and then they split in like 2012 because he wrote a memoir and that came out last year and it talked about his struggle with, you know, alcohol and drugs. And he said one of his like sort of the thing that haunts him is not proposing to her and not staying with her. And and he was like, I think if I'd chosen that life, then he would have been married and had two kids now. And instead, oh. he's dead. So Matthew Perry's former fiance, Molly Hurwitz, has uh, posted about his passing on Instagram. She's done this really nice sort of memorial of him saying... I obviously knew that man in a very different way. While I loved him deeper than I could comprehend, he was complicated and he caused pain like I'd never known. No one in my adult life has had a more profound impact on me than Matthew Langford Perry. I have tremendous gratitude for that and for everything I learned from our relationship. Maddie, I feel a relief that you are at peace.
1: Sad. So awful.
0: They were engaged from... 20 to- they were together, they were linked from 2018 and they were engaged from 2020 and then they parted ways in June of 2021. So I believe she was his last partner before he passed away.
1: In lighter news though, Lisa Kudrow, as in Phoebe from Friends, who also wrote the foreword for his memoir, is reportedly considering adopting his dog.
0: Oh, that's really nice. I read a really great sort of tribute to him in Variety, particularly about Chandler, and I just thought it was really nice this little this little passage said this the character's caustic wit meaning chandler as performed by a master comic actor presented as nothing more and nothing less than observational humor about his friends one degree harsher and it would have tanked the show one degree softer and it wouldn't have landed and i think that's like so indicative of his talents as a comic actor is that chandler really was that sort of hilarious i wouldn't say like every man character but he really did bring the rest of them down to earth in a really nice way in a funny way
1: he did and he made the show a little less I don't want to say cringe but he Mm. added a self-awareness to it
0: absolutely and
1: yeah really sad and his
0: book was really really intense I haven't read it but he did the audiobook and he said that it was a really like intense experience he said I read it in one big gulp and it's like I disassociated a little bit I honestly was like oh my god what a horrible life this man has had and then I realized it's me and I got grateful
1: Oh. Like isn't that just awful? He also didn't use a ghostwriter for his book apparently.
0: In the book he said something like I I know that I'll be remembered for friends, but I don't want to be remembered. I don't want that to be like the first thing I'm remembered for. I want it to be like for helping other people and like overcoming my addictions cuz he opened like Perry House in Malibu which is mm. for people with substance abuse issues and things like that. Like a great legacy, a great actor. And like you said, like on Friends in 17 again, and some really great guest star appearances in um, things like the West Wing and the Good Wife. There's an article as well that I read, I think it was in the New York Times today, going through those roles and saying how he really was really masterful to make those smaller roles really count, which I think is, I think harder than being a lead because you want to make yourself memorable as a guest star for sure. But on to something a little bit lighter and something that cheered me up. I hope it cheered you up uh, <laughs> Please, <absolutely>. on Friday. <laughs> Taylor Switch has re-released her latest re-release <laughs> of uh, the 1989 album, which originally came out in 2014. It's considered to be, I think, her most, I mean, influential, important album because it signaled such a shift in her sound from kind of country to country pop to pure pop and – It was re-released this week with four or five new songs, new vault tracks. I was overwhelmed. What were your thoughts, Emily?
1: I haven't actually listened to it through yet, but I have seen lots of people talking about the change in sound of a couple of songs. Mm. Some people didn't appreciate that they weren't kind of exact replicas of her first release. I heard that too. For example, Style was one of them. And I saw a couple of people say that it sounded like it was an AI
0: recording. I heard someone else say that it sounded like a kid's bop when they yeah. like changed the lyrics to be more like appropriate for children.
1: More G-rated.
0: I thought it just sounded the same, but yeah.
1: I listened to Style just out of interest. Um, and I also listened to the song that I cannot remember the name of, so I'm going to need you, that is allegedly about Harry Styles.
0: Oh, I think it's... Oh, there are all... are a couple. I think it might be Is It Over Now?
1: Yes. Yes. That one. That one. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that's the drama that I kept up with
0: look i love 1989 as an album i've said before that it's one of my favorite albums if not probably my favorite one it's definitely the most important one for me because it's what got me in to being like a proper fan i was like on the fence i went to the red concert with my best friend charlie when we were oh my god like 16 but i was like i'm casual like my favorite songs i knew were trouble because it was about harry and then 1989 i was like hold the phone I'm in with this girly. But yeah, I think I agree. Like a lot of people were talking about how the sounds had changed a little bit in style. I didn't really think style sounded that different. I don't actually like style that much as a song. I felt like songs like Wonderland and I Know Places, the re-records were so crisp and amazing. Other things like All You Had To Do Was Stay, I Wish You Would, How You Get The Girl. Those are my three favorite songs from the album, as well as New Romantics, which is originally, that was originally a bonus track from the Deluxe album. Oh. Uh, but it's a bang. I think it's one of her best songs and it's just so good. Anyway,
1: what gets me is the change in sound quality. Like it wasn't that long ago.
0: No, I know. Can you believe it? 2014.
1: But everything sounds so much clearer and so much nicer.
0: I agree. Yeah. It's shocking to me because all the songs before were from, like, 2012 and earlier. Yeah.
1: Just imagine what, like, (laughs) what the Beatles would sound like if they re-recorded with today's tools. It's
0: like Tailspin' Remastered, but, like, remastered on another level. 1989 as well, like, as an album, really, really important, but also, like, as an era for her. And I don't mean to use the word, you know, era... Because of the movie and things, but it, that really like that period of time was very important for her because it was like she moved to New York. She had this like girl squad, which was a group of essentially basically Victoria's Secret models and a couple of pop stars that became her core group of friends. And she was seen always out and about with them. She cut her hair off and had a bob. She was very stylistically cultivated and put together. And she would just go around New York with her pack of friends. And it just made such a big mark in the culture and my mind, or at least the culture that I was ingesting. But she's also doing that now. She's, it's almost like she's reliving that era. She's in New York. She, you're seeing her with Gigi and Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds and all these people. It's almost like she's reliving the 1989 era but in the present day, which, which I kind of love. She references several kind of controversies about this album. In the vinyl version of the album, which my friends actually got me for my birthday with, so I'm really excited to have it in person, but she talks a lot about the slut-shaming that she had in the media. And in the vinyl version of the album, she says, I'd been the, been the target of slut-shaming, the intensity and relentlessness of which would be criticized and called out if it happened today the jokes about my amount of boyfriends, the trivialization of my songwriting. She goes on and then she says, it became clear to me there was no such thing as casual dating or even having a male friend who you platonically hang out with. If I was seen with him, it was assumed that I was sleeping with him. So I swore off hanging out with guys, dating, flirting, or anything that could be weaponized against me by a culture that claimed to believe in liberating women, but consistently treated me with the harsh moral codes of the Victorian era, which is so damning. And then she goes on to say, Being a consummate optimist, I assumed I could fix this if I simply changed my behavior. I swore off dating and decided to focus only on myself, my music, my growth and my female friendships. If I only hung out with my female friends, people couldn't sensationalize or sexualize that, right? I would later on learn that people could and people would. Wow. That's a big jab at people who believe that Taylor is secretly closeted gay or bisexual or whatever and believe that she has been in relationships with women particularly Carly Closs the model who was her best friend and they've since had a feud and a falling out and they don't really see or speak to each other anymore and Diana Agron who played Quinn in Glee but then also there's another camp that uh accepts that a lot slash most of 1989 is about Harry Styles and there are a lot of references to that but it's yeah it is discussed that This album in particular is about Diana Agron and to a lesser extent about Kylie Kloss. Whether you believe that, that's totally fine. I did go down a Reddit rabbit hole (laughs) the other night and it was a bit insane because I was like, I'm open-minded and I do, I reckon that she and Kylie Kloss did go out, just spoiler alert, whatever, but the people on Reddit are next level.
1: Really? Just intensely believe it?
0: Intensely believe it, but also because I intensely believe it but they're just next level in talking about all of these things and like paragraphs upon paragraphs upon paragraphs of reasoning and justification and this and that and then people are like you can't comment on her sexuality and i'm like i'm just a casual like observer and i'm like yeah i reckon they hooked up whatever the people oh, on reddit
1: it's a full-time in job. Sanity.
0: yeah so a lot of people think that the album's about diana because that was like the end of red plus the start of the 1989 era when she was writing 1989 she was super tight with diana Particularly the song Wonderland because Wonderland is like very much all the lyrics reference Alice in Wonderland, which Diana was obsessed with. And I feel like this is really getting down a rabbit hole because in the song she says it's all about rabbit holes and things like that. And a lot of people think that it's Taylor Swift and Diana Agron. And Diana had a Alice in Wonderland tattoo that she later got removed. But it's really got me back to like 2014.
1: Me reading lyrics like this. You truly have to be so deeply analytical to be a Taylor Swift fan. I know.
0: In these new vault tracks, there's a lot of stuff that people think are about Harry Styles. And I do concur, to be honest. Yeah, why? Because, okay, so Out of the Woods, the song on the original album, there's a reference to a an accident, like a, like a snowboarding, snowmobile accident. And it's, remember when you hit the brakes too soon, 20 stitches in the hospital room. And then in this new song, Is It Over Now? One of the lyrics is when you lost control, red blood, white snow, which I think is pretty pretty relevant. And then another lyric is once the flight had flown with the wilt of the rose, I slept all alone. You still wouldn't go, which is, I think, references when sh- Taylor left a holiday with Harry really early. And there's that funny photo of her on the boat when she's sitting by herself. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. People think that that is referencing that. And then because there's another line that says blue dress on a boat, your new girl is my clone. Ooh. Apparently straight after he left Taylor, uh, Harry then went out with a model called Emily Osteely, who was tall, blonde and had blue eyes. And then he was rumored to be going out with Rod Stewart's daughter, Kimberly Stewart, who also is blonde and has blue eyes. And then another lyric that people think is about Harry is from Now That We Don't Talk, which I think is my favorite one on the album. And it says, um, you grew your hair out long, you got new icons. And from the outside, it looks like you're trying, I miss the old ways, you didn't have to change. But now I guess I don't have a say now that we don't talk. And that's when Harry grew his hair out all really long.
1: I have a question. Yeah. As someone who wasn't super into either of them at this time, but is into them both Mm. now. Wasn't he like 20 then? He was 18 and she was 23. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that makes me feel icky. Yeah, I remember when it all happened. Because that was when I was like first open about liking One Direction. There's just a lot to talk about. But people just have all their own theories and there's so much going on with it. But it was really interesting that she, A, referenced all the rumors about her potential relationships with women. And she also talks about the Girl Squad, which a lot of people hated.
1: Because it was so controversial. I remember at the time thinking wow look at all of these powerful women and people came out and said they're all models they're all skinny they're all white she said in the uh,
0: this is again in the vinyl notes you who heard the wink and humor in blank space and maybe even empathized with the pain behind the satire you who saw the seeds of allyship and advocating for equality and welcome to new york you who knew that maybe a girl who surrounds herself with female friends in adulthood is making up for a lack of them in childhood not starting a tyrannical hot girl cult so she really did address them head on she's typically quite private isn't she yeah and and 1989 was that era where she was very much like open with her friendships and it was all like 4th of July parties and going out with the girls and I I think the probably the most blatant example of it is in the Bad Blood music video when she had all of her best friends in that music video yeah and a bunch of other people and a bunch of other great celebrities too but she had you know Gigi she had Carly she had all of the Victoria's Secret Lily Aldridge Martha Hunt uh I mean I you know so many of them and Lena Dunham who she's still really really good friends with so I think that was probably a bit of the rallying cry for that but yeah it was a big controversial thing at the time I just thought it was cool I was like yeah this is Taylor and her friends but as you say like they were all skinny they were all white it it was not the most inclusive thing but it's also like she's a
1: superstar and she's probably lonely like just let her have her friends it makes me wonder how much she sat down before doing these re-recordings and thought I'm going to have to relive every time of my life yeah every single one and that's so difficult like imagine doing it would be it's exactly the same as like Matthew Perry reading the audiobook Mm. for his own memoir, you have to relive the entire thing. You have to rehash old publicity scandals. You have to rehash old relationships. And it makes Mm. me wonder if at any point she went, Oh, this is gonna be super scary and hard, which obviously it's worth it she gets to own her music again. But Mm. it's such an emotionally taxing thing that like I I'll write something and never ever read it again because I simply can't face my own work.
0: (laughs) And that's the thing and I think I think particularly for this era because it was the first time that she you know, people felt bad for her during the Kanye thing and people hated her as well. I'll say that. But I think this was the first time that there was like so much like the Taylor Swift is over hashtag and people were like fully piling on her and hating her. And because it was that stratospheric rise of she's now a pop star. She's not just country pop straddling the two lines. She's a pop star. And I think people got their backs up a little bit about it. And Mm. And it must be rough to relive that. And I think that's particularly why she's like chosen to talk about that speculation head on, because you have people on the internet who are like, oh, that song's about Carly or that song's about Diana. And she's like, "All oh, you know, remember the girl squad? And then she's like, all right, let's talk about it. A
1: really interesting decision on her part, I think.
0: I think it's kind of good. I think she's just like, whatever, I'm 34 now. Let's talk about it. I'm
1: and down. I also wonder if this will silence any fans who are prone to speculating.
0: Maybe. I hope not. I'm a fan who's prone to speculating. But if anybody does want a really interesting podcast recommendation about this, Beyond the Blinds, who I've mentioned before, really great sort of gossip podcast. They do a whole episode on Diana Agron and Taylor Swift. It's public. They also do one on Taylor Swift and Kylie Kloss, but that one's on Patreon, so you have to pay for it. Uh, and they also do an entire deep dive into Taylor Swift. It's a two-part two episode the Diana Agron and Taylor Swift one is really, really interesting and it is compelling for people who just think it's like sensationalist. It's like, they do go through it in a, in a quite a, not a nice way, but in a, like a, it's a bit thoughtful. That's it from me on that because I could talk about it all day and I have and...
1: In other celebrity news and we always slip in some kind of magazine article or profile. A lot of articles, yeah. Lot of articles. We love them. G Q published a piece this week called The Odyssey of Hailey Bieber. And fascinating. Where this girl is always being profiled. And I actually have a theory about that, but we'll delve into what oh my God, okay. was in the article first. I think it was such a textbook celebrity interview. There's Pregnancy rumors, relationship speculations, brand promotion, so much brand promotion for her, skincare brand road, and not a whole lot else. What did you think?
0: Look, I agree with you. I just felt like I didn't learn anything about her from this profile. And I will say, I do like Hailey Bieber. Like, sue me, I like her. I feel bad for her. My main, like, emotions and thoughts around Hailey Bieber is, like, amazing skin and, like, pity, basically. Yeah. She's really achieved like what everyone wants. She actually married the guy that she was obsessed with as a kid. But it's now it just seems like a total
1: shit show. The grudge that we hold against Hailey Bieber is literally second to none.
0: It's so stupid. She
1: just because people were so obsessed with Selena because Selena Gomez went out
0: with Justin Bieber and then Justin Bieber and Selena broke up and they were the golden couple of Hollywood. And I think they needed to break up because they were also toxic. But she was only introduced to him when she was 12 she known him since she was 12 and she's been in love with him for probably that long. It's like, no wonder. Wouldn't you want to, you know, marry this guy that you're in love with? But I think it's, I don't get the hate. The only hate I think is that people think she's uninteresting. But of course she's going to try and make herself seem uninteresting so she can't get a lot of flack and she still gets flack.
1: She also seems like quite funny. Like, do you remember last year she, there was all of that Nepo baby chat and she stepped out and was photographed by paparazzi wearing a shirt that said Nepo baby. Yeah. And so she kind of, she knows that she's just another celebrity's kid. She knows that she has a cushier life than a lot of other people. Not everyone is Stephen Baldwin's daughter and Alec Baldwin's niece. She knows that. I
0: I think she's self-aware enough. And I think that's all you can ask of kids of celebrities, just to be self-aware. Totally. Because that's all people want. And I think she's very aware of that. But I also think she has really good products in her, like in the road skincare line that people like, people respect her as a businesswoman, it seems. She creates trends that people follow, the glazed donut, the mocha frappuccino nails or whatever it is. (laughs) Like She is influential in the culture and I think, yeah, I didn't learn a whole lot about her in this interview. It was just little snippets like, yeah, I love Greek mythology. I'm so into Greek mythology. I've been watching Sex in the City.
1: That's what made me realize that she's just a girl. Like She's younger than you. In my head, she's 100 years old because she's been in the spotlight for so long also the fact that she just celebrated her five-year wedding anniversary i was like oh okay so you're you're 40 years old and
0: the fact that she's talking about pregnancy rumors and which is crap it's like oh she says you know damn i can't be bloated one time and not be pregnant it's like of course she cares about that that's that's horrible i hope for the record that she leaves justin and that this doesn't happen she deserves to have a way more chill life but and they talk about the gag like the visual gag of them whenever they go out together and it looks like they're going to two totally different things like he looks like he's going to a sleepover at his best friend's house and she looks like she's going
1: for a night with the girls he looks like he smells bad every single time he leaves the house I know I hate it and she's dressed to the nines they did touch on that and she said it's so funny because I see so many people talk about this he may want to wear baggy sweats to dinner and I might want to wear a tiny little dress just because that's how I'm feeling. We can't sit there and be like, so I'm going to wear this and you're going to wear this. Honestly, it makes sense. It makes sense. But at the same time, there are different standards if you're famous and you're together and you're Justin Bieber. Like you have to at least look like you're putting in effort. It's not that you have to look amazing. You can wear baggy shorts, but if you can't make it look like you want to be there and that you'd like your wife for two seconds Mm. people are gonna Mm. be having these conversations and it sucks that that's part of being famous but it is one thousand percent like it's not like she's
0: asking to fucking match her dress to his suit it's like maybe just don't wear sweatpants exactly maybe look like you're going outside it's like when people this is a bit unfair, but I always feel like Sophie Turner would always just wear pajamas and really weird things out of the house. And I'm like, I will go down to the shops wearing like pajama shorts and like my Birkenstocks, but I'm not a famous person. Yeah. I may walk down the road like I'm being followed by paparazzi, but I'm just a regular girl.
1: Uh, yeah. Just leave the Crocs at home.
0: That's the thing. It's like, it's not difficult. I'm sorry. You have a wardrobe full of insane clothes. Like just put some jeans on. They work with um Carla Welsh. She's one of the most the influential stylist. Oh, did you just roll your eyes? Oh, I no. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm so glad you've done that because I. She's one of the. So Carla Welsh was one of the biggest and probably most influential stylists in Hollywood, and I consistently hate everything she puts
1: everyone in. Yes. I like can't deal. She literally. She does. Carly Kloss Olivia Wilde is one of her big ones at the moment. Sarah Paulson. Nah. Tracey. Sarah Ellis Paulson just Ross. looks
0: not. Nah. Tra- nah. It's, she's not for me. Sarah Paulson just looks severe. I'm like, oh, another severe Prada dress. Wow. Breaking the mold.
1: She also did Lord for a while there. So she has nah, like a, I don't a fuck with her. A really good host of clients.
0: I think Hayley looks good, but I think that Haley has personal style. I don't think that that's cultivated. I think that she's like Sophia Ritchie Grange.
1: Yeah, where she's got I would more put of an them in similar, of herself.
0: I would put them in similar categories. And as well, she... She looks so good all the time, like her skin, her hair. And I think so. I do think she has like really good taste a foot in that world. But I feel like for her to get where she wants to be, this like amazing businesswoman, skincare girly, she needs to drop the dead weight of Justin. That's my personal opinion. But I feel like that probably won't happen.
1: Mm.
0: I don't know. I just feel like
1: she has such potential and I want her to get there. We've had conversations about this before where on Christine Centenario's first vogue cover as editor-in-chief vogue australia cover yeah
0: mm. they
1: featured and sh- Haley was interviewed by justin and it was such a snooze fest i i wouldn't do that as my yeah. first cover in a million years I think like i love her but i just simply wouldn't do that and then the, no yeah the interview is cool but it's such a gimmick and there was nothing in it
0: and the, well this is the thing it's like justin's not a journalist what's justin gonna ask that's scintillating to the audience it's safe and I also think that together, they're boring as batshit. On her own, Haley is more interesting.
1: They're no posh and becks.
0: I'm more interested in her. No, I'm interested in her story. I'm interested in her career and her ascent. I'm not interested in her going out looking amazing next to her husband, who
1: looks like he's just rolled out of bed. Exactly. That's part of my theory in that. I think she keeps doing these magazine articles and profiles and she's everywhere because she has to work extra hard to legitimize herself because of the Justin thing, because of how much he kind of has this like shadow over her and over her reputation.
0: I think Justin is not, I don't want to say not good for the brand, but he's, it doesn't work in her favor. It doesn't. For sure. And I think like... I don't know. I don't love the whole like theme of girls getting really married, really young in Hollywood and being the wife. And and she says this thing in in the article, she says, home to me feels like I can be anywhere. As long as I'm with my dogs and my husband, I'm good. I can make home out of that anywhere. And I'm like, it's a lovely, like, it's very touching sentiment. But I'm also just like, you're 26. Go live a life, babe. She probably has already lived many lives because I feel like kids of Hollywood, actors and actresses, it's just you we can't imagine what that's like and I think it is a totally different orbit and you grow up a lot faster and things happen and you know I am hopeful for her and I hope that she I hope that people stop giving her so much shit totally and I hope that Carla Welch stops putting her in boring (laughs) YSL outfits and I hope that she makes it beyond where she is now
1: I hope that she gets a Kylie Jenner rebrand
0: which yes oh my god we we have to talk about this we have to talk about this
1: Kylie Jetta has released her own fashion brand and it's available for purchase as of today, yesterday. It's called Kai, spelt K-H-Y. Mind-blowing. The silent H symbolizes destiny, good fortune, and spirituality, according to a it statement. It doesn't say that, does it? It is. It's
0: oh, that's such a wank.
1: Such a load of crock. Okay, I'm on the website. Let's she also sat down with the wall street journal to talk about the brand and what she wants to get out of it this it's was very interesting. it's very leather very biker chic very matrix
0: i heard them say it's like i heard them i read them uh it's mad max meets 1980s terry mugler it's the wardrobe of a biker babe during the apocalypse who happens to have internet access and a pilates toned body
1: <laughs>
0: very true to be
1: honest i'm looking at this now love the coat the coat is very trinity in the Matrix. The first collection contains 12 pieces, most of which are faux leather or t shirts or these like fugly moto gloves.
0: I'm literally, the gloves look like the gloves that my uncle has, like just riding yeah. a bike. Who's They're gonna, so where bizarre. Where are you going to wear those?
1: Because that's not a look that we've associated with Kylie Jenner previously. And she has had a real style evolution from that kind of teal dip dyed hair and the. Oh my God, the King, King Kylie. Yeah, the King Kylie yeah. era. And she kind of switched it up. And there were so many headlines about her and Quiet Luxury, and so people expected the brand. She's to not be luxury. Quiet Luxury. She's, she's not. She's not Quiet Luxury.
0: Fucking and literal newsflash. She's not. She tried to rebrand after Sophia Richie Granger's wedding. She was like going to Italy and wearing all of these like really nice like
1: just a midi dresses. dress. Like she just started wearing oh. linen, and suddenly everyone went, "Oh my god, it's a new Kylie." I know.
0: I was like everyone look get like get a brain cell sit down chris is telling chris is telling the girls to rebrand okay
1: this is what's happening and that's why part of this is so predictable like kylie was never the style icon of the family but she does have a real sway over trends i don't know this brand is supposed to be accessible and inclusive like they keep using that kind of language in all of their statements and releases and stuff Mm. but that's why i'm confused because she's not really known for relatability like she's not known for having an accessible life and she's not known for wearing leather and she's not known for dressing as trinidad wearing murder gloves she's wearing these pieces with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of brands that she actually wears daily it just seems like a very predictable but really i think odd
0: i think that It's really weird. I also think that it's just an odd one for her because she is, as you say, like her life to me out of all of them is the least accessible. And I also think that, yeah, she's not known for wearing pieces like that. If anything, Kim is more. Kim's had her real leather phase and, you know, skin tight things.
1: Balenciaga edgy kind of look. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I feel like I just don't, I don't need it from Kylie. But yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's true to her brand. I think it like... All of the Kardashians have their brand that is an extension of themselves. Kim has Skims, which I really like. I have Skims stuff, but it makes sense for her. And then, like, Good American makes sense for Chloe. And 818 kind of makes sense for Kendall. But I loved in the article, they didn't even talk about uh, Lemmy, Courtney's brand.
1: Yeah. And Kris Jenner also has her cleaning products brand called Safely. I forgot about that. And she's got an investment firm, Sky Partners. And Kylie is working with Jens and Emma Greed, who are the brains behind all of the, those other brands. So they were the co-founders of Skims The Good American and Safely. And I don't know if they're behind 818, but presumably.
0: But it kind of weirds me out because so they were, she's working with those people, right? But then she's also, this first drop of stuff is in a collaboration with another design duo, Nan Lee and Amelia Fole. Of Namelia, which is a Berlin brand. So it's like she's working in collaboration with the people who do the Kardashian stuff. But she's also in collaboration with this design duo. But then Kai has about 25 employees plus an in-house design team.
1: And then they're also doing guest designers. There's so many cooks in the kitchen. So many cooks. And I just assumed that it would be a bit more Kylie. Like she truly just seems like she's the face of this at the moment. Yeah. And this Namilia brand is also interesting because they're very edgy, very Berlin, lots of mm. leather and cutouts and they are kind of not the antithesis of Kardashian, but they're currently in a lawsuit against Hermes because they really took a design down a runway, which was kind of like a deconstructed Birkin. Oh,
0: that sounds amazing. But yeah. Not not the brightest idea to go against one of the biggest luxury houses.
1: No. So that's why I think it's interesting that Kylie accepted that reputation and accepted that risk and went, okay, these are the first collaborators. Yeah. Is this setting the tone for every collection that's going to follow with any collaborator? Are we going to continue to see moto gloves?
0: I mean, I bloody hope not. I I mean, she did say like we talked about King Kylie before, which is – Kylie back in the day was very much a Tumblr girl. She was on Tumblr, as we both were. She was post lots of like mood board inspiration, but it kind of became like a moniker with her fans that like this is King Kylie. It's when she had the dip-dyed hair and the when she first you know, did whatever she did to her lips. She says she didn't do anything, but I think we all know that she wasn't just overlining them. But she says that the first Kai drop is very King Kylie, who I am at my core. So I guess she's hearkening back to that, but I don't remember in the King Kylie days, she was wearing any of that sort of stuff. She just looked like a little teenager rebelling against the rest of her sort of strong glam Mm. of the Kardashians and she was like I'm gonna have really heavy eyeliner I'm gonna dip dye my hair and I'm just gonna look like a little teen girl rat pack vibe you know ratty girl it was interesting did you see that um Betsy Johnson's alleging that Kylie copied her concepts for the clothing line another designer from the UK so she's a multidisciplinary artist and director, but she also she was also the visual director for Yeezy. So Betsy Johnson has gone on Instagram to launch these accusations against Kylie, saying, we emailed Kylie and her, all her team the concepts and language six months ago. Interesting concept, Kylie. Interesting. Thanks for the co-sign. Fuck your support. Which I thought wow. was really interesting. She said, like so many other working class kids who bust their ass for expertise, they weren't born into this to realize their ideas. I know who my supporters are in and outside of fashion. I appreciate those. You want to gag over lazy celeb merch, duped business models? Be my guest. Working people don't lose hope. We're here for more than a gag collection and a bag. Long game.
1: Wow. I know. That is.
0: And that's from someone who used to work at Yeezy. Not that that has anything to do with anything anymore, but I found it interesting.
1: Yeah. I also find it interesting because this concept isn't totally new and the kind of language that they've used is very of the moment Mm. which is why I'm wondering why they started this it's not like she's breaking down sustainable barriers it's not like she's using cactus leather like she could have gone down she could have done a whole faux leather collection where she's innovating and people are looking at her brand because it's genuinely new yeah not just because it looks like a kind of like a a boohoo sub section literally
0: it just feels derivative I feel like she's just getting in on the brands
1: it is, and even the language, like in their about section, they say Kai aims to redefine the modern wardrobe by offering edited collections that seamlessly blends luxury with everyday style. But I just, that grammar, I just is don't off.
0: believe that. Also, because that. what's the is the grammar
1: of? By offering edited collections that seamlessly blends luxury, yeah, it should be blend. Girl, get yeah. your copy editor,
0: get your copywriter on that.
1: Hire us. We will fix this for you. We'll make you unique. It's just
0: very indicative of the brand. Then, like it is. Like I just a typo makes sense.
1: Not doing anything special. But I also feel like when they say that, it's like these
0: ba- elevated basics or whatever brands like Wardrobe NYC, Christine Centenera's brand. They do that well. I'm like, no yes. one's gonna be buying a capsule collection of leather flares, a leather top, leather skirt, leather dress, and moto boots. Unless you are in Mad Max. Whereas like with brands like Wardrobe MIC, it's like a concerted effort to have this coat that I can wear with these pants, with this blazer, with this top. It just makes more sense.
1: Yeah. Even she's got like two basics, a long sleeve shirt and a baby tee. They're things that Skims does and Skims kind of has the chokehold on.
0: Literally the top. The short sleeve top looks exactly like something that Kim would wear. She's sneaking up on Kim's bag, I swear to God. Yeah,
1: I don't know. It's just a little bit odd. Speaking, speaking of new brands, Phoebe Philo has launched her highly anticipated fashion brand, which was announced way back in 2021. So we have been sitting tight for this for yeah, ages. Have been waiting. And as of this morning, it is now shoppable.
0: I mean, not for everybody.
1: Yeah, not for everybody. We will get to that. It's also not available in Australia. Oh, I didn't know that. Bastards. As a refresher, she left Celine after 10 years as creative director and has since had a six year break from fashion. But she had a huge hand in making Celine relevant today. She's known for that old Celine aesthetic, which is very minimal and chic and includes quite distinctive tote bag shapes and funnel neck sweaters and high fashion sneakers she was behind the ankle boots revolution of the 2010s. Wow. And just a lot of designs that characterized that time period. So her former protégés include Daniel Lee of... Oh, Bottega. Bottega and Peter Doe. Oh, right. While she's also credited as inspiration for the current Gucci creative director, Sabato DeSano. So she's had a very, very influential career and fashion folk were insufferably excited to see her label myself included
0: it was a really big morning to be
1: on instagram
0: (laughs) following the people we follow but
1: by the time I woke up and checked it half the stuff was yeah so
0: there were 150 styles which were priced both high and low I think low is a relative term it's some of the most expensive stuff I've ever seen.
1: Priced between 1080 and 30000 AD. Which is a bit
0: ridiculous. But but I, I think this is more about her reputation and the fact that she revolutionized Celine and then went away for six years and now she's back. But she's been called an oracle and sphinx of fashion by Vogue. But she she has this kind of, I don't want to say motto, but she has this great thing that she says where she was like, I've always had a sense that if I can't wear it, what's the point? So she is, even though her prices are like $30,000, which is r- ridiculous and slightly reprehensible, it is more about functionality. It's not like it's haute couture where you're like, where am I ever going to wear this dress with a lion's head on it, like Scaparelli? And not to say that that's a bad thing. I love Scaparelli. I think it's gorgeous. But she's more about function, I think.
1: Absolutely. And I did see lots of people on Twitter talking about how Underwhelmed they were by Mm. the simplicity of the collection, but But it's like,
0: babes, you wanted quiet luxury. This is the epitome of quiet luxury. If we're gonna go there, if we're gonna, I think this is a we can call it quiet. Call it what it is. It's called spade
1: spade. She's kind of like the foremother of quiet luxury before it was commercialized. Exactly, as a trend, like through Celine, she showed that a simple like cut or a shape or a fabric could exude that untouchable level of taste, which is what quiet luxury used to be. It was the antidote to brand mania and that supreme era Yeah, exactly it was the high end of if you know you know yeah style and i
0: think she has also had like i don't want to say allegations laid against her because allegations is a bit of a strong word but There has been accusations of racism on the runway. So uh, Bethan Hardison and Iman in 2013 accused her of racism. Hardison said she's a cool girl, but Celine has never had a colored person showing in their collection ever. And yet they have the best accessories. Every black woman who has money buys her accessories. But then in the same article... Uh, Iman said she refused to support Phoebe or the brand she said I walk the walk I can get another bag I have my wallet I make a conscious decision not to buy that stuff and then in 2022 Iman also noted Philo's resistance to using models of color alleged resistance saying she referenced a conversation between the two where Iman said the designer asked her if she was going to be forced to use black models For the supermodel and advocate, the question itself was enough for her to boycott the designer entirely. That's why I've never bought a Celine bag, Iman said. She has a right to her runway. I have a right to my pocketbook. Very damning. Which is horrible. And there were models of color in this collection, but then people were talking about size inclusivity and how it's not really made for a diverse range of bodies. But I also think they're saying lack of accessibility, even for high-end and luxury consumers... Which I think is fair enough.
1: It's not necessarily the cleanest slate for her to launch into. But Sophie Phoebe image is very vague. Like she rarely did interviews. She doesn't use social media. She was actually the driving force behind Celine not hopping on e-commerce as a brand for so many years. And she doesn't have much of a public image aside from her work. So any controversy is going to mar her image. And even just no digital presence is quite bizarre for this age of fashion. Like we've also just come to expect the wave of gimmicks and what used to be, if you know, you know, has become very mainstream and Celine kind of wet that. Like you think of like tabbies and even the row to an extent. They're well known now. Oh, yeah. And those customers need the next, we were here before it was cool brand and we know the significance of this and you don't. So it's interesting because it's not the cleanest slate but it's also probably a good time. I think so. So yeah. it, we're, we're talking about her as if she's the figurehead of a movement, not a real person and designer. It's so interesting. That's how people
0: are treating her, though. Like, it's insane. Like, this article in the Washington
1: Post from Rachel
0: Targian, I hope I'm saying that correctly. She uh, is fantastic. But the way that she writes about this collection and about Phoebe is kind of insane, <laughs> I've never really, it's really lovely, but it's also just like you're talking about like an $8,000 leather bag, but it's really interesting. I think she talks about, there was a sense that no one understood women as Philo did The small pleasures and inconveniences of their lives, their needs as much as their desires. It was elitist, yes, a look predicated on the subtle understanding of the few versus telegraphing values about your bank account, position of power or sexual confidence to whoever passed you on the street. And it was certainly expensive, meaning that as much as it spoke to women, it spoke to ones with a lot of money and she says these clothes speak to someone who's seasoned in life and on top of the world she's treating herself she knows she's worth it she's probably running a company or even started and sold one these clothes are in a world that that in a world that fetishizes youth and seems to chuck away women after 35 reveal that le- that middle and late age are actually pretty great you've got nonchalance a bigger bank account god willing and you know that the only person you want to impress is yourself You aspire to wear these clothes and you work towards making yourself cultivated and intelligent and worldly enough to wear them.
1: She's for the Lily Vanderwoodsons of the world. She
0: is. That is the perfect description. She's like what uh, Shiv Roy would wear in real life and Lily. Exactly.
1: Exactly. It's quiet luxury before quiet luxury became like a princess polytrend. trend.
0: And I think that one of our favorite writers who we we talked about him last week, we will talk about him probably most weeks because he's fantastic. But Jose Corrales Unzueta from Vogue Runway posted a really interesting take on his Instagram story. Uh, he just said Phoebe doesn't need to know do any world building or marketing to convince us that her name is worth buying into she's one of the most talked about designers of her generation does she need a celebrity to wear her clothes for people to want them so much talk about quiet luxury yet people are still kind of missing the point here this is the real quiet luxury lol it's like fight club the first rule is that if you don't talk about it the first rule is that you don't talk about it if you know you know you're part of the club or you aren't and you want to be if you know of it. And yeah, there's people doing this. The Lueve Bottega, the Roe, Jill Sander. What makes folks want to buy hers over theirs? That her name is on the label. If she's the one who started it, that's the one you want. And I think he makes that point really well. But I I it's if you know, you know, she's the real quiet luxury. That's why it's so expensive and ridiculous. Because people were going on that when Kendall Roy on Succession was wearing a six hundred dollar cashmere cap. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh now we're having a conversation about twelve thousand dollar pants or whatever. Like It makes sense.
1: There's a market for that.
0: And yet it's also it's most of it sold out.
1: And I wonder how long it will have this status for or whether it will Mm. kind of fall into that into the tabby cycle where suddenly everyone can afford that kind of thing. I cannot.
0: It's like when the sambas were like the itch shoe, And then there was that GQ article where people were like, I'd rather die than be seen wearing a samba. And I'm like, five weeks ago everyone was wearing them like five weeks ago it was the if you know you know shoe and then now oh, oh it's just it's the as we've said before like it's the life cycle of the trend
1: it is all of this reminds me of alec leach who wrote the book the world is on fire but we're still buying shoes wrote an op-ed for the business of fashion a little while ago mm. called "Demna's right fashion entertainment is a problem where he basically looked at Balenciaga's pivot from being a spectacle to being about the garments themselves and about the construction right. and craftsmanship of the pieces. And Demna, the creative director, pushed mm. this change following Balenciaga's big controversy last year where they published campaigns that had oh, kind of yes. themes of child exploitation. Anyway, that's another story. Speaking on fashion entertainment, Alec wrote... Because social media algorithms prioritize the sensational over the ordinary, the loud over the quiet, brands now grab people by the eyeballs. Some of the most successful designers of recent years have understood this, exploiting social media to keep their brands top of mind. That's how we ended up with the nonstop churn of drops and collaborations, while Fashion Week became a marketing circus where Gucci models carried their own heads and Balenciaga cast the rapper Ye to walk in a field of mud. The problem is that like any form of entertainment, once we've had our fun, we quickly move on to the next thing. The age of social media has made clothes disposable. And I think Phoebe Philo has the, not the antidote to this, but there's a market for her clothing. And I think she will resist that pull of fashion entertainment because she simply can yeah I agree and I'm interested to see how the masses I think people will lose interest I think Twitter will be quiet after a little while but because
0: she's not doing anything else she's dropping it and then she's done this is someone who's not into social media she's not into the spectacle the spectacle is the clothes and the prices it is people will forget about it soon enough
1: I'm interested to see though if there are those pieces that everyone covets if there's a another Luggage bag, if or if there's another like other tags or something, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering just how much of a sway she's going to have on everything from here on out, like she did at Celine, mm. and if people are going to shut up about it.
0: Honestly, God knows, but I think the fact that she'll drop it and leave it, and that will be, I, we won't hear from her till the next drop. I think the world will move
1: on, and it's kind of refreshing. Harper's Bazaar summarized it well, saying it's an interesting time for Philo's return because she is re-emerging into a world she has helped shape. What once felt revolutionary feels slightly less so because the current fashion landscape is so obsessed with the minimalist, hard-to-define delights of her Celine that her work is constantly referenced. And I think that's interesting, again, because she's coming back into something that people think they know more than her about.
0: Yeah, and it's like she invented it. She's the one who invented, reinvented the wheel. Exactly.
1: We're not going to see another brand launch like this probably ever. It's just a few no, unique no. set of circumstances that has led to Phoebe Philo. Phoebe Philo I don't know how to say that
0: I know with the whole time it's we don't know if it's Philo or Philo the last time when we first talked about her we said Philo like Philo pastry and then I had an anxiety attack after the episode when I think I heard <laughs> someone somewhere say Philo so we've said Philo but I feel like now we're going in between so we, we don't know
1: but just that's it the first tweet I saw this morning was from Brenda hashtag and it was just is it pronounced Philo or Philo and yeah. no one had responded yet. I was like, please, can someone oh, respond?
0: we need to know. We need yeah. to know.
1: BB's never going to tell us. No, that you're right. That's all from us this week. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please subscribe and download our episodes. That helps a lot. And leave yes. a review. And also message us. If you loved this episode, send a message. If you hated this episode, that's not our business. Thank but you. But also you can
0: send a message because we'll we'll think about it for like two weeks maybe just don't actually but yeah thank you so much for joining us please remember to rate review subscribe and as em said just come chat with us we're on the socials we're on the vibes and we'll see you next week all right bye that's all bye